How about if we pray as we open God's word? God, when we are in a quiet place like this, away from the rest of the world, we are more aware of our need for you. Thank you for meeting us here in this place, how we've already felt your presence. Teach us a little more about you now, would you, as we open the word. We expect that, and thank you in advance for doing it. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You don't have to be a football fan to be caught up in the enthusiasm of what took place this week in the Rose Bowl. What swept through our community, you don't have to like football, trust me. Because I don't, but I was. I joined those 94,000 people, I was at home, but I joined the 94,000 who were in the stadium earlier this week on Wednesday as we watched the, the hometown favorite, the undefeated hometown favorites, lose to the other guys. Oh, no. (laughs) Who let you in here? It wasn't just 94,000 people, though. Did you see the Nielsen ratings? Almost 35 million people turned that game on on Wednesday night. The highest ever rated sporting event, college sporting event, but also the number one viewed show of this television year. It even beat out CBS's favorite CSI. 35 million people turned the television off so we could all share in the enthusiasm of the Rose Bowl and watch USC be defeated. I, uh, like I said, don't know that much about the Rose Bowl, but when I was driving down the Interstate 10 freeway last part of the week, I saw a car headed back to Texas, a Texas bumper plate with the orange flags waving out the window and the baseball caps and the t-shirts that they had made and uh, four grown-up little boys my age (laughs) hanging out the window yelling, ah, baby! (laughs) And doing that thing only Texas fans are supposed to do with their hands. Well, I got so caught up in it, I rolled my window down. We're going kind of slow. I roll my window down and I yell back, yeah, baby! And one of those 40-year-olds looked at me and went, no. (laughs) All right. I I, uh, don't know Vince Young either, quarterback for the winning team. What is it like to be the quarterback and have 35 million people watching you, an audience of 35 million watching every play, what you execute well and what you don't? 35 million people watching you win or lose. Vince Young told a reporter late in the week, when it was all done, I went back to my room at the hotel, sat out on the balcony, sat down, and I had a talk with the man upstairs. And he gave me a history, a flashback of who I am. I don't know Vince Young. I don't know about his life and his personality and his faith perspective, but he sounds to me like a man who's tapped into another reality, a reality I'd like for us to discuss the next few weeks. That is this. What is it like if we play for an audience, not of 35 million, 
but for an audience of one. What is it like to just have one viewer? Better stated, probably one fan. What is it like if instead of playing to your colleagues and your professional groups, your, your peers, your families, and instead of even waxing and waning with the, the cultural trends and playing to that, what is it and how does life look different when we just play to our audience of one, our God? I'd like to open Romans 12 with you this morning. The first two verses of Romans chapter 12 will be the focus of our study for a few weeks. Don't get worried that we'll exhaust it today because we could spend uh, months on the first two verses of Romans chapter 12. It is a little bit unfair to open the Bible, especially the letter to the Roman Christians and the Roman citizens, and I probably owe an apology to the Apostle Paul and his editorial staff and, and all those involved with creating this document. It's a little unfair to drop in in the middle of the book of Romans, the letter to the Roman Christians. This is one of those documents in our Bibles where it really does matter what came before, where what came before impinges on what's coming next. My choices are to keep you here all afternoon and do Romans 1 to 11, or to give you a little summary. I thought you'd like a little summary. I See, I'm starting to know you. Romans chapters 1 through 11, and actually, if you just move back to Romans 1 verse 17, there maybe is a summary, a thesis statement right there in chapter 1 verse 17, when Paul says, for in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And Paul spends several chapters there helping people understand who are the righteous. The Gentiles, you are the righteous. Oh, the Jews, you thought you were better. No, but you are the righteous. The pagans, you are the righteous. The new Christ cult members, yes, you are the righteous too. In fact, you are all the righteous. Do you understand? It's as if Paul is saying, let me make sure everyone knows by the mercies of God, you're all declared righteous through Jesus Christ Every single one of you. Now are we on the same page? That's what happens in chapters 1 through 11. And Paul takes a breath in chapter 12. You know when Paul's breathing because you see the word therefore. And he's had an 11 chapter sentence and he, now he takes a breath. Most of your translations within the first three words you'll see the word therefore. If you read Eugene Peterson the word is so. And you should hear that intonation. So, because everything that we just said now impinges, impinges on, so, let me say something to you. And Paul reminds us that good theology, 11 chapters of it, makes a difference for good living. Romans chapter 12 now, verses 1 and 2. This is from the New American Standard Bible. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, and today Paul would say, sisterin, Sisters, by the mercies of God. Maybe Paul would say, therefore I urge you, sisters and brethren. That's wishful thinking. All right, I'm getting carried away. I need to be calm here. Let's start again. Therefore I urge you, people, by the mercies of God, 
Present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Verse 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Eugene Peterson paraphrases this way. We'll read the Message Bible also. Verse 1, so here's what I'd like you to do, God helping you. Take your everyday ordinary life, your sleeping, your eating, your going to work, you're walking around life and, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit in without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings out the best of you. He develops a well-formed maturity in you. And you see, we have an audience of one. Present yourself to God. We should read, it is accurate to read there, your actual physical body, for that is what it says in the Greek language. Present your body, and all of the rest of those are a string of adjectives that go together. Sacrifice, living, holy, perfect. Present your actual body on the altar. I have no idea what that would mean to somebody who lives in 57 A.D. Present my body as a sacrifice. Against the backdrop of the sacrificial systems, the rites, the rituals, the customs of the various religious traditions, what would it mean? Present your body, not an animal. Sometimes I go to the Hindu temple in Riverside on Magnolia Avenue. You're welcome to go there. It's open for, for you to observe, to participate any way you'd like. I go occasionally because I like to watch the families who come in where they still bring an offering to the God. And I like to see how it's contextualized for the 21st century as the young families come and they have their Hindu God that's been selected for their family. And instead of the children bringing those things which would have been customary centuries ago, you see, you know, bananas and oranges and coconuts and also a bag of Cheetos, a piece of pizza from Pizza Hut, a little carton of French fries from McDonald's. Bring what you think is pleasing to the God. And so the families do. But actually this custom and ritual of bringing something pleasing to the God is very ancient and as we read in our Old Testament, even ancient Israelite and the Yahwistic religions, they absorbed these same traditions, sacrifice, rituals, cultic expressions of trying to please the God. What can we bring to please the God? And God didn't want a dead sacrifice. God wants a live sacrifice. So a live animal and then the slaying of the animal and the blood which represents there was life. And sometimes you'll read in the Old Testament, the scent or the aroma or the smell of the sacrifice is pleasing to God. Have you read that before? Your sacrifice is, the smell of it, the scent of it pleases me, we sometimes read in the Old Testament. 
for Paul, even, living in Tarsus, where mystic cultic religions were sweeping through. One of the mystic religions there called for the initiates to stand under a bull as this animal was slain, and then the blood would flow, and if you wanted to join this cultic religion, you would stand underneath and let the blood flow on your body as an expression, as an initiation, and as a way to please the God for that cult. It it really makes the baptismal tank very inviting, doesn't it? Can you even picture what that would be to stand underneath a slain bull and let the blood permeate you? Against the backdrop of all of that now, Paul says, because of what's happened in chapters 1 to 11, because of the mercies of God, and he tells us at the end of chapter 11, I don't know why, I can't explain why, just praise God that it is. Because of all that, there's a brand new sacrifice you need to try. And it's not just good advice. It's an admonition. There's no more death on the altar. Now there's something living. Get your own body on the altar. You step up there. Put your body where the animals used to be. You're the new sacrifice. Your alive body, your well body. This is what pleases your audience. When you and I are alive in response to God's mercies, chapters 1 through 11, it pleases God. I just have three reflections about Paul's in, uh, admonition. One has to do uh, with sort of a, a theology we've inherited in Christian, in Christian conversations that's quite old. There is an idea in the ancient world that the body, that, that the body is not necessarily positive. And in fact, that we struggle against the body. The soul is the more positive thing, the dualistic idea. The soul is what escapes and and goes somewhere better. It's the body that just dies. It's the body that's destroyed. There's demise. And and in fact, the body is where evil is housed. And there's this kind of hate relationship with the body, which led to centuries of people not caring for the body, because what happens to the body? It dies. The soul goes to the good place. It's the same theology, by the way, that informs how we think of the earth, Uh, that the earth will someday be destroyed, so why must we take care of it now? I'd like to suggest to you that we need a corrective theology there for what's been bequeathed to us, for those things we've inherited, because you don't have a body, you are a body. You're fully integrated, you and I. And those of you who've specialized in health care professions, you understand this amazing house, as Dave Wilkins referred to as this house of cells, don't you? And how finely tuned and connected the mind and the body and the, the essence of a person, how it's all one. We don't have a body that we struggle against. We are a body, and our body is pleasing to God. We need a little corrective theology there. The second idea that I I think about as I listen to Paul's admonition here, ignoring our body is not an option if we want to live to our full potential. Now, Adventist Christians know this, don't we? We do. We're feeling a little bloated the last month or two, in a good way, a little puffed up, shall I say, because of the National Geographic report 
We know we live seven, eight years longer. We're Adventist Christians. We take care of our temples. We certainly know we we need to take care of our bodies to live up to our full potential, don't we? We're Adventist Christians. I, I met a teenage boy in Taco Bell years ago, one close to Loma Linda, to the medical center there. Absolutely precious conversation. I ordered something, substitute meat with beans, the way the rest of you do, right? He said to me, oh, you're an Adventist. I said, I am. You are too? He said, oh, no, no, but, but I grew up in the Midwest on a farm, and my family, uh, my relatives are Seventh-day Adventist. Oh, interesting. He said, we had farm with cows and chicken and all that, but no milk. We don't, they didn't eat milk, no cheese, no cream skimming off the top, no butter, no eggs, none of that. And I said to him, oh, they were vegans. Oh, no, they don't dabble in that. They're Adventists. <laughs> Isn't it precious? <laughs> Adventist Christians, we know to take care of our bodies, and we've known since the very beginning, as we talked about a few months ago, when Ellen White gave that one talk that was the crowded event, the, the maximum capacity audience, the biggest audience. She was not preaching about the second coming. She was not preaching about theology. It was health reform. From the very beginning, Adventist Christians have known the body as the temple. We know to take care of it if we want our maximum full potential. And that led to Battle Creek. And you can just fast forward to, to the health care centers around the world that bear that name, Seventh-day Adventist Institution. And, and the National Geographic coverage and the, the, the NIH money for the nut studies were just a bunch of nuts. They, that's the joke out there, you know. And, and fast forward, we know, Adventist Christians know, we're the ones who teach New Start in our Bible studies. You don't get that anywhere else, that little acronym New Start. Now, if you're a Pathfinder or you've taken your Bible studies recently, you know each of those letters stands for something, Right? You haven't forgotten nutrition, exercise, water. Have you forgotten those things? Air, sunshine, sunshine, rest, temperance. New start, that's Adventist Christianity. And we do it because we want to live to our full potential. Because we want to help God. We want to partner with God in God's work in this world. It's respectable. It's admirable. I just want to ask... In light of Romans 12, put your live body up on the altar. Could it be that even Adventist Christianity has missed a little perspective here, or we've not spoken enough about, or not experienced it to its fullest potential? Maybe I haven't in my life and in my family that that maybe I've treated taking care of my body more as a good Protestant work ethic. You see, I need to help God do God's work get more souls into the kingdom. Maybe I've thought of it more like that and less like an act of worship. Put your body up on the altar. The text says the righteous shall what? Live. Not live a little bit. Not live half-heartedly. Not live with disease and diagnosis we can avoid. The righteous shall live. Stand up on the altar and live. And when I do that, God is looking down at me being pleased. It's a good scent to him. I wonder if there's just a little more we could experience there as Adventist Christians. 
live in response to a gracious, merciful God. And all the rest is added unto us, you see? Yes, people watch us and their lives are changed. Yes, souls are changed for the kingdom. But primarily, I live as a sacrifice to what God's done for me. Some of you know, before I uh, went back to school and studied theology, I spent years in the field of clinical nutrition. Seven years, uh, therapeutic nutrition and all sorts of specialties I stopped doing that. I was terribly discouraged because I got very tired of people not wanting to listen to me. So I found you. <laughs> I got very tired of walking into a room and having something in my hand that would make a difference in a person's life, only to have it ignored. Most of my years of experience happened here in La Melinda, but I've worked for Adventist Health System in, Systems in several states. 21 years old was my first job, walking into someone's room, trying to persuade them to eat right and take care of their body. And this elderly gentleman looked at me. He looked at my translucent skin, and he said to me, Girl, you need a good steak. <laughs> and the second thing was, Are you sure you're old enough to be here? And it... Uh, it was an interesting ride, walking into the room of a, a renal patient at the medical center, someone with end-stage kidney disease, the most complicated therapeutic diet that exists, and we hand-calculate those milligrams of potassium and sodium and fluid restriction and protein restrictions, and uh, carefully doing this and walking in and seeing they've got a Big Mac sitting there that they're eating. Or walking into the room of someone with, with coronary artery disease who's about ready to go home and needs a diet instruction, low-fat, low-sodium, weight reduction, and I have a menu all planned for them, and they're eating a double-double and a chocolate shake from in and out or, or walking into the room of a morbidly obese woman struggling, struggling on a, a drastically reduced cal uh, caloric intake where we've hand-calculated her menu also, but tucked in her drawers and in her closet were bags of candy and bags of chips. Walking into those rooms and just sort of comparing these people over the years, and even then thinking about us and my own life, the people I know, I see one thing in common when I see people fighting against their bodies and fighting against this maximum living. People have missed that we don't do these things because we want to live a little longer or we need to get a little more healthy or we don't want another bypass in a few years. We do these things out of a response to a God who saved us, who bought us with a price, who says, now be careful because you're not your own. I'm in you, and it would please me so much if you'll live in a whole way, as a response back to me. That is what motivates us. Yes, to join CHIPS as I'll sit through their session the next few weeks and learn a little more and experience it with them. That's what motivates us to rethink our lifestyle, to take the Apostle Paul seriously, evaluate those things in your life, your rest and your intake and your exercise and all of those habits which keep you from or enable you to Live in the presence of God. Do these things, but do them not because it's a New Year's resolution or other people are doing them or it just seems like a good idea. 
Do them because there's a merciful God who will be absolutely pleased to watch it happen. We have an audience of one. Before I finish this morning, I just feel compelled to address two groups of people here today. I, I feel compelled to appeal to those of you, I feel compelled to appeal to you who, who struggle specifically with eating disorders like anorexia and bulimia, with steroid use, with compulsive exercise regimens, or compulsive overeating. I feel for those of you who struggle against addictions that include alcohol and smoking and drug use and prescription drug use. For those of you who struggle against a mental illness and you're undiagnosed and your body's not working for you, I just want to say one thing to you this morning. Your life does not have to be that way. And this is a safe place for you to come and talk and, and push back against that and to learn how to live with God. You do not have to live life that way. It is not what God designed for you. It pains God that you suffer, and you are worth more than that to God. And, and as I look out over this church, I just want you to know this is a safe place for you to be. Don't leave today. If you struggle with one of those things, don't leave until you've spoken with someone here and let us help you. I also feel compelled to, to address those of you whose bodies are aging, which is really all of us, but some of you feel it a little more than others. Your body doesn't cooperate with you like it used to. It disappoints you. It lets you down. Some of you live with disease and diagnosis that good eating and good exercise won't resolve. A little ritual my mother-in-law does is cutting out these quotes from magazines and the newspaper and mailing them to us. Occasionally I share one with my mom over the phone or mail one on to her. These little quips about what it is to have an old body and have, be living with your body that's aging. Like your, your mind has made a contract that your body can't keep. Like George Burns' famous line, when you bend over to tie your shoes, you better figure out what else you should do while you're down there. And my mother-in-law cuts these little quips and sends them on, and I've shared them with my mom, and she, and she laughs, and then she'll usually, she has said to me, you know, but at the end of the day, I'm still old. My body is still getting old. And many of you right now today live with that. You know what that feels like to have your body just giving out on you. I want you to pay special attention to Romans chapter 12, verse 2, which we didn't cover much today, but we will as the weeks go over, go along, where Paul says, do not be conformed to this, what, world. The word there is age. Do not be conformed to this age or this realm of existence where evil permeates and, and bodies break down. Don't be conformed by that. Don't be discouraged by that. The Apostle Paul is giving you and I this indicator. There is another age. Fix your eyes on that and, and live now as if that age is here. You, your body feels like it's disappointing you, but this is not the end of the story. The Apostle Paul points you and I forward to an age where good rules, where God reigns, and God wants us to experience that right now. Hold on to that if your body's disappointing you. Get on the altar 
and live. Those are the words from the Apostle Paul. Amen. R and D. Kathy Wilde wrote the words to this song. Spirit and he lives inside you. God has bought you with a great price, so use every part of your body to give glory back to God. 1 Corinthians 6 19.
I invite you to stand. Would you do that as we close? You can clap for these kids one more time if you need to. It's okay. Let's pray. So, God, we lift up these bodies to you as a living, whole sacrifice, which we hope is pleasing unto you. This is our act of service and worship back to you. Thank you for that opportunity in Jesus' name. And we can all say, Amen. Amen.